All right, welcome to episode 13 of Tyler Martinson's Reputation Rehab, and I'm your host, Tyler Martinson. Uh, pretty pumped for this guest today. Uh, he is a mentor at Gain, Gain Action Interagency Network. He's a freelance journalist. He's a member at large for Winnipeg Centre at Canada's NDP. He's on the board of directors of John Howard Society of Manitoba, and he is the founder of Healing Together, um, a men's group, which I have attended and it, it is great for, for helping men heal. Um, absolutely love what he's doing with that. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ryan Beardy. Hello, hello. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for having so, me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, so we, we met a few years back, probably uh, you know, 20 years now. Um, Quite a while back. Definitely in some different circumstances. Uh, I think we're NYC. Milner, Headingley, there's a, a few different places. <laughs> um, and it's nice to, to come back around and now meeting up with you in, in a whole new world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember meeting you back in the youth center. And then I, I think we did, did another, some more time in uh, Milner Ridge when Milner Ridge had a youth camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was, um, I think I was about a, almost a year sober and I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I know I didn't, I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. And I randomly ran into you at a Tim Hortons and we, we shot the shit for a couple minutes. And I remember one thing you said to me, you were like, go to school. You were like, get yourself into some choruses and go to school. And I kind of thought like, yeah, I don't know if that's realistic, whatever, but I ended up getting into school a couple months later. And it's completely got me into to what I'm doing right now. I, I do nice. some mentoring myself, doing uh, action therapy with some youth. So that was great advice sending me down that avenue. So yeah, well, I appreciate well, that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. For sure. It was, uh, you know, advice that was given to me as well. I think uh, there's all types of education. You know, there's formal education, informal education, and uh, unformal education. So for you and I, we have a lot of informal and informal education and life experience from based on where we came from. And so with that formal uh, education, we're now able to better, uh, uh, better explain what we what we've been through and even, you know, process what we've been through and, and sort of even now with what you're doing, you're also pointing right directions for others, you know, with your podcast and with, with your mentoring. And that's what I, you know, that's what I, I aspire to do with my life too, is to point the, the right direction because, you know, we both know that I know the wrong direction, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's, it's great, you know, to, to give back that advice to you. Uh, education helped me a lot when I was, uh, well, I, I didn't get an education growing up. I dropped out, you know, a lot, you know, at a very young age and, uh, just never took it seriously in and out of prison most of my life. And, uh, Finally, you know, when, when, when I changed all around, I decided to get my high school diploma. Uh, I was in Stony Mountain and I was writing to uh, Alberta and then they'd give me back the, we'd correspond. And uh, that's how I got my high school diploma. And uh, I got it on my wall, so pretty proud of it. It's a high school equivalency diploma, but you know, it, to me, it's, it's, it's a long time coming. Mm -hmm. After that, after that, I went to, uh, I got parole and uh, I went to the University of Winnipeg to study political science. And, you know, things started to look up for me. So that I think that's when I saw you at the Tim Hortons was 
very late stage transition of my life. Yeah, uh, you, you took some opportunities that were in front of you, even though you were in a real bad situation. I, I did the same thing. I got my, my high school equivalency when I was in Rockwood. So, and it was through Alberta too. So we might even have like the same teacher or something. I don't know. Um, I, I like kinda... some, was this? Hand? What's that? Like, he always wore a bow tie. Like some dude that always wore a bow tie. It'd be funny if that same teacher. Oh, uh, no, it wasn't. I had, I had a, a woman. So yeah. Okay. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew I would, I needed to do something to get myself in a better situation. So I kind of just was like, hey, what can I do while I'm in here? Uh, you know, kind of to yeah. build a resume even a little bit. And yeah. that was one of the things I think I took like a Wemis chorus. There was a few other tiny little things, but yeah, the opportunities like were there for people, right? If they wanted them. Like a construction safety course was there. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Wemis, uh, I also got my um, forklift license there. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I, I ended up working in the um, the uh, shipping and receiving, and and yeah, so I had to get my forklift license. I I you know when I got out, I could have went there, you know, I, I didn't, but it was good to it was good to prepare. Uh, you know, anybody that's locked up, you know, you you do a lot of thinking, and for me, I've done a lot of time thinking, you know, because I did a lot of time locked up. But uh, I think we got to use that time to take what opportunities we can, like, like, like you said, and, uh, although it sounds like, yes, you and I turned out good. And, 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 you know, obviously we have some very positive results. We also got to recognize that not a lot of others do mm -hmm. that. Those opportunities that we were afforded were very few and far between. And even to get to minimum security is very difficult, yes. especially, especially, uh, considering the, you know, everyone takes the same test and 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 when you go into security and some of these tests are, are biased and it's a recent globe and mail investigation released showed a lot of the statistics of inmates that were uh were incarcerated with with a broad range of time and what you saw there was a disproportionate number of maximum security offenders that were uh, even black indigenous and people of color and and uh so the security levels you don't have a whole races of people that are just inherently violent, you know, but uh, I remember taking those tests, you know, and, and I thought like, I'm not filling this out. You know, if I fill this out, it's got these biases that are going to make me look bad. Meanwhile, you know, ask me the right questions. Right. So I, I think it's interesting to see that uh, our outcomes are, were very positive, but uh, we also got to, you know, think of the others that are in there that, that are stuck in there and, and they don't have, a lot of positive outcomes and that's what i do with my, my with myself now is I, I really speak for others and i really uh speak for a lot of those that are locked up uh having spent a lot of time i mean since i met you in youth center and then to the point when i met you at tim hortons was pretty much a very long period of me being on the other side of the law mm -hmm. that that would, uh, you know i spent two decades uh you know in and out of prison uh you know in gangs and and i spent one decade behind bars and I'll tell you one thing, uh, what I always saw was overrepresentations of indigenous, overrepresentations of black people of color, uh, you know, and I always saw, you know, uh, solitary confinement being used uh, sort of as, you know, <laughs> sort of too widely, I would say. There's too much discretion placed at the head 
of the institution and uh, solitary confinement is causing a lot of uh, harm to people. So you and I, man, we came out great, you know, but I, I like to take these opportunities to always remember those that didn't and can't. Yeah, it's a it's a tough grind. Um, I've, I've spent six years of my life behind bars when you add up all the time put together too. And I definitely know about it being disproportionate. Um, you know, I, when, when I hear all these talks about minorities and stuff, I relate because in those six years, I was a minority. Um, there, there definitely isn't a whole lot of white people behind bars, especially in Manitoba. It's um, a lot of indigenous, right? Um, they're very, very over, overrepresented. And I, uh, yeah, especially Manitoba and uh, Saskatchewan penitentiary, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd, you'd see that as well. And it's interesting to note that uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan have the per, uh, highest per capita of indigenous populations as well. You know, so, um, yeah. Yeah, I know you're a really big advocate uh, for for anything that's going on behind bars. Um, if there's there's any injustices being done, um, I see you post about it all the time. I've seen you write articles <laughs> about it. I've read articles that, that you've written about it. Um, yeah. I think that that's a highly noble act to still remember the people that are, are living that life, even though you're not, you know, you haven't forgotten where you came from and you're still trying to help those people out is uh, a class act in my books. Well, when, well, yeah, thanks Tyler. Uh, you know, when you spend a lot of time with people and as well, uh, you recognize, you see yourself in somebody or something. Now, when, when I talk about the overrepresentation, uh, you, you see yourself in all the brown faces that you see reflected back at you. And although I, I am succeeding, and one can argue whether I'm successful or not, it doesn't matter to me because at the back of my heart, in the back of my head, uh, I always think of those, others. And, and, and you know, it's like um, you ever have a family member that's sick, like with a flu or, or, or if you have children and, and they're sick and, and you can't take that sickness from them and it just eats your heart but you wish you could you know that that's sort of the feeling that you feel when when you start to realize that uh, that uh, the disproportions that exist affect you and people like you people that reflect into you and and unless we do something about it they're gonna reflect onto your children and you know my my sister's children my nieces my nephews you know my my grandchildren you know Anybody out there that that's listening that has you know, uh, you know children that are going to be targeted by the system and and I say targeted because honestly like we're disproportionately carded as well in the streets you know where we're we're overrepresented in court cases and uh, corrections in policing you know in um, yeah so I think for me uh, it, it it's a noble thing but it's also a necessary thing. Because when does it end? When does it stop? Uh, since 2010, uh, although the overall incarceration rates have went down, and uh, uh, you know, within that time, uh, I have the statistics here. Let me bring up statistics. Hold on. Statistics. Um, where are they? You got this. <laughs> yeah. So the, so uh so okay. So the statistics. Let me let me let me read the stats for you. So more than thirty percent of all federal inmates are indigenous. 
Uh, meanwhile, we only make up 4.3% of the entire Canadian population. So that's that's huge disproportions. Uh, the number of white inmates has decreased decreased by 23.5% since 2010. As well, the total number of inmates has declined since then. Uh, but the indigenous population behind bars has increased by 52%. And that's according to the Correctional Investigator of Canada's 2018-2019 report. So uh, the numbers speak for themselves. And, and uh, what I was talking about was lived experience, how I saw these brown faces reflected. So when I got out and I finally, you know, get, started to get educated and look at the numbers and, and speak more broader to broader audiences, uh, these stats weren't alarming or nor surprising. They were more confirming of, of, of a life I've lived and, and saw. And um, I started speaking about them. Uh, which is cool, and I, I wrote an article uh, scathing uh, the government. And um, shameless plug, you could probably just Google Ryan Beardy and find a bunch of articles. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I've been at this for a while, but my first one of my first articles uh, caught the attention of some senators. Uh, Raymond St. Germain, thank you very much if you're out there. And, uh, and uh, they asked me to come down to Ottawa to speak about restorative justice and how I was able to sort of change my life around and I you know uh, also some of the things I saw there. So it was a big opportunity for me to speak about these things in a national platform, you know, to, to politicians. And uh, so I spoke there and then that um, parlayed into me meeting Senator Kim Pate and Juana Thomas Bernard, who are some fierce justice advocates out there and some role models of mine. If you're out there, thank you so much. I owe it. I owe a lot of, uh, how far my voice can reach from the amplification of so many others, and there are definitely two that have um, that have helped me. Uh, I was lucky; they asked me to witness against the government. Uh, I actually for this um, Senate Standing Committee on Human Rights. So I spoke against the government for human rights abuses in prison that I saw in my lifetime, and that's on record, and 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 that's holding the government accountable. The articles I wrote up to that time were used as evidence as well. So uh, I'm, I can rest knowing that, yeah, I saw a lot of BS in there, but at the end of the day, I was able to turn that around, uh, you know, educate myself, find my voice and to speak against it and hope for some meaningful resolve. As well, I was invited to Ottawa to uh, look at policy of uh, the Youth Criminal Justice Act and try to, in, um, look at ways that we could decrease indigenous youth uh, being overrepresented because they're overrepresented uh, in, 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 in prison as well. Indigenous youth made up 46% of admissions uh, to correctional services in 2016, 2017, but indigenous 8% of the entire youth population. And that's to, according to Statistics Canada. Now in Manitoba alone, there are more than 80% of all youth admissions in 2018 were indigenous. In Saskatchewan, 92% were indigenous, as well as in Saskatchewan, 98% of female admissions were girls. Of uh, Yeah, were indigenous girls. 98% of all admissions were indigenous women. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you can see how this overrepresentation can be crushing to an entire people. Uh, we know the effects of solitary confinement, which is being used at record numbers. We know the effects of, of uh, separating a family, of, of taking even um, 
me will ta imagine taking me away from my family you know and 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 especially now uh but unfortunately that you know that happens and there's so much fragments that's been happening for years upon years and decade upon decade and generation upon generation stony mountain was built on sacred ground you know to to uh to to go against indigenous resistance and and that's where i found myself just five years ago thinking about these very things and so this is talk has been a long time coming i'm very grateful to have you know be able to be a freelance journalist and to publish uh, a lot of this and i'm very grateful for the large amount of politicians that uh, have stepped up and started to take this on themselves. There's also a local reporter who just really diving into these statistics. Uh, I'll shout him out, Ryan Thorpe. You look at him at the Winnipeg Free Press, he's got a four-part uh, investigation into a, a, a lot of justice issues and that are really taking on this, you know, this fight. So I just get really passionate about this, so to just cut you off but uh, no i i absolutely love this i i could come on here and just shut up and let you talk the whole time and this would be a great podcast um <laughs> this is the exact reason why i wanted to bring you on too right i want this indigenous perspective out there and i and i want people to know about the things that are going on especially with me dealing with it firsthand now in both my jobs um you know i i've been really grateful to a lot of a lot of people that have been helping me out lately, you know, in my jobs, you with the sharing circle and men's group that I go to. Um, I have a daughter who's indigenous and she, she is in a room full of white kids at class. And I want her to walk in with her head held high and to be proud of who she is. And even though that she might look different from everyone around her to just be proud of who she is, you know, and yeah. you guys are teaching me so much about where she comes from and her culture. And I'm able to bring that back and, and teach it to her. And, you know, I, I've been smudging at home with my family and, and talking about the seven sacred teachings and, you know, not getting too deep because she's still young, but being able to have that voice and take that information and pass it on to her, it, it's needed. And I know how much healing there is for somebody in that. And, you know, me and you have had some talks about you know where where you were and how you use those teachings and use those things for your healing journey and to to get you into a better place and yeah I mean I I'm so grateful for for everything that you guys bring to me um, and I wanted you to to get on here and let everybody know not just me so uh, you want to sit here and just go off on a rant talking oh uh, go for it man <laughs> well, I I would definitely you know think that your daughter has very much reason. To be proud just to be alive just to be a, a, a survivor of genocide just to be strong enough to be born in this world and to walk in this world and to to every day go news classes you know uh some people look down on indigenous some people see them as you know, struggling with addiction and whatever homelessness but you got to understand that you know they're here and they we've been disproportionately affected by a, a lot of policy since the beginning of colonization you know, if you think about uh, what, the the public hangings that happened, like like there were some very horrific things. You know, indigenous deaths were made the spectacle back then, and uh, you know, newspapers would blare headlines to settlers that indigenous were criminals, and 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 advertise to uh, you know Europe that there's land for the taking, just come and settle. And and meanwhile, indigenous were you know pushed off of our land. You know, our medicine people, our healers. We talk about healing and how much uh, value add 
uh, indigenous culture and indigenous ways are helping revitalize a lot and to even protect Mother Earth. But meanwhile, back then, medicine people and healers were criminalized. Uh, important aspects of traditional uh, life, legal, political, family systems were made illegal, such as sun dances, potluck ceremonies. People only see potluck ceremonies for sharing food, but there was a lot of legal and political implications, you know. After the 1885 rebellion, uh, there was a past system which required any indigenous to leave the reserve, not leave the reserve without uh, an special permission from an Indian agent. We weren't allowed to trade. We weren't allowed to own our land. We weren't allowed to make contracts or lease any resources. You know, so like, can you imagine uh, the the disadvantage of, of an indigenous person whose livelihood was to live off the land before, you know, colonization? This all set the stage for disadvantage and, 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 and you know, as well, residential schools, the 60s scoop, uh, it's been a constant displacement from lands and from peoples and families, which, you know, resulted in difficult economic circumstances, uh, broken families, pipelines to prison, pipelines to CFS, ultimately a pipeline to homelessness, addictions and mental health issues. If we want to start to heal people, we start from the top, we start from the from the from the, from the ground. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, it's 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 not. Uh, it's been ongoing, and where do we solve it? Okay, well, any politician that's sitting there in their seat can solve it by speaking up against it. And we have amazing justice advocates, like I said, uh, you know, Kim Pate, uh, but we also have people like Leah Gazan, and 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 that uh, when you introduced me. Uh, just to sort of make things clear, the ex, uh, member at large is sort of just a, a, a sort of like a, a go all, whatever, uh, go for all, you know, you can, a broad title within um, an executive district uh, association. It's pretty much a writing association and it, it boils down to, you have members of the community. So my writing is Winnipeg Center. So I'm a member of the community that sits at this table with Winnipeg Center and we uh, talk about, you know, what's happening in our area and, and, and what needs to be done. And in our area, which is one of the second is, I think is one of, is the second poorest riding, uh, Winnipeg Center. Uh, we need supports for homelessness. We need supports for mental health. We need supports for addictions. You know, we need even uh, if I say safe injection site, you know, half the people out there cringe, yet half mm -hmm. the people out there are going to be like, yeah, let's get her done. You know, nobody wants that in their area, but guess what? Uh, these problems are real and, and, and there's people out there dying and we need to stop arguing about where this is going to go and just get her done, you know? <clears throat> so, um, uh, you know, I went on a lot of, lot of tangents here, uh, but just to, just to pivot back, to the effects of incarceration. You also have neurodevelopment disabilities, uh, poorer mental health, uh, you know, even childhood trauma and adversity increases the risk of contact with the justice system. And, uh, you know, societal marginalization and inequality, you know, exacerbate all of that. So black indigenous people of color are, you know, being disproportionately targeted uh, by the justice system and 
uh, the government has some of the examples, just very few examples that I've given. You know, you can see how it sort of sets the stage for a lot of the, um, a lot of the way the society is run and, and set up today. So, uh, whew, there's lots to it. It's a very, <laughs> very complex web. And believe me, I'm like trying my best to explain it, but to understand it. And those like us who have been through these systems and come from, you know, the bottom, so to speak, uh, we're, we're, we're an advantage to see these things. And also what you're doing with the mentoring and with your podcast and, and those, uh, you know, guests before us is, is we're also going back into those dark places with, you know, and, and it's easier for us because we could brave them and coming and bringing others towards the light. And, uh, just like I told you, education is key. Can you imagine how much people you're touching and how much people, you know, that listen to your podcast or, or that you're mentoring that you're, you know, giving that advice, that life-changing advice to, so it's beautiful to be a part of this, this movement now. Uh, there's men around me like Mitch Bourbonier, you know, just to throw some names out there, <laughs> you know, uh, he gets plugged on this podcast lots. So <laughs> that's awesome. I know you yeah. had Vinny, Lil Vinny Lilly was on here the year, man. That guy's awesome. Yeah, you know, Darcy's Dar been on. Yeah. <clears throat> Darcy Blanche, you know, Vinny, there's, there's a whole crew of us. Like I'm not unique in the, in this, that, you know, I was able to change my life around, which is just totally awesome. But there's so much around us that that have changed your life around and uh with that being said there's so many out there that can change their life around and those are the ones that we need to prop up and those are the ones that we need to support and believe in uh a lot of people can say some really good things about me these days you can ask around and they'll say some great things uh, you know and society's so willing to uplift me and accept me but i have a very dark past so why is it that, you know, society can't accept and uplift the thousands of others that get out of prison all the time? Because I've met some people out there that have beautiful talent, that have beautiful souls. And then you could walk down the cell and there's an artist and there's a there's another public speaker there. There's a writer, you know, and, and we're just writing them off in society once they, you know, make these mistakes or, or once they go through these systems that are very, very daunting. Yeah, I mean, the, the majority of the people that we work with um, and all work together and that come to these men's groups, um, they're all doing great things and they all have checkered pasts. Um, yeah, like I'm all for giving giving people another chance and not writing them off because they made a mistake. And you don't, you don't even know the situations that, that they were coming from where they had to make those mistakes. You know, you don't know that somebody might be 12, 13 years old and has no food and there's no parenting being done there. And mm -hmm. they had to go out and do what they needed to do just to feed them and their siblings. Um, mm -hmm. You know, th there's a lot of things that people have done just to survive. And, you know, should they be held accountable for their rest of their lives because of something they did in a dire situation? I don't think so. You know, that's, mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that that's right. Um, mm -hmm. There, there was a, something you said earlier, you know, about residential schools and, and the 60s scoop, um, that kind of stuff. When I, when I started reading about that and really learning about that, it hit me hard of like picturing my five-year-old daughter, somebody coming to my door and just taking her away and then cutting her hair and telling her she's got a different name, making her speak a different language. And I was like, wow, like it, I couldn't imagine that happening to my daughter. And this is exactly what happened. 
to a lot of people. And then we expect them to just come out of that and just everything's good. You know, like I, I can see where a lot of these problems stem from with mental health and, and addiction and homelessness. And I, I can see where they've stemmed from. And, you know, there's got to be some empathy and second chances and resources for these people. You know, they, they might just be in a position where they don't have some some supports and stuff. Right. And uh, I, I know I can't do that much. And that's 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 why I'm trying to just this platform. I want to be a voice. I want more people to hear about it. And then maybe some more people can get involved, you know? Yeah. And I think if we all come together as a group and everybody just does a little bit, it can make a big change, you know? I think so too. I, I, that touches on a really good point that I'll talk about. Uh, when COVID hit, I'll just make it a, for example, when COVID hit, uh, there was a lot of people alarmed at the uh, a number of inmates that would be susceptible to catching it. They're very vulnerable in there, a lot of advocates, uh, but unfortunately there wasn't a government response. There was, there was none, you know, and, and, and we see that happening play out through the indigenous plight and the many other social issues and underlying social issues that need to be addressed. Okay, so what had happened at that moment was everyone knew how dire the situation was and it was life or death and how much of a crisis it was because you know, COVID is real. Uh, so what you had was parole officers and probation officers working hard to get others out and looking for options. You had lawyers that were working hard for restorative justice options and non-custodial agreements. You had, or what, or non-custody, you know, uh, outcomes such as you know trying to get bail and stuff. You also had crown attorneys. And I was also personally reached out to by some crown attorneys that were talking about how they could reduce the number of of, of people uh, going, you know, into, into custody. I remember a, a young man messaged me and he says, I need help. I need help. I said, what's wrong? He's like, the police won't arrest me for my warrant. I said, well, go home. He's like, I don't want to go home. I was like, nah, you know, most people that want me to get them out of jail, man, you want me to help you, you know, I was like, you're you're lucky that they're not arresting you because covid man so okay point you had all these different sectors of society that were working together to ensure that uh that people weren't going to jail and and what did we have we had less incarcerations we had more releases we had less inmates going to prison we had less uh custody uh outcomes statistically so the whole uh, entire of society was able to work together and to solve that problem without that large government response, without that unified, you know what I mean, policy. Why can't we do that for other problems? And we can. We just need to have the urgency to see it as a crisis. And and that's uh, the urgency comes from knowledge, comes from educating each other. And, and, and just the amount of listeners out there that are listening to some of these facts and probably maybe never knew that, you know, Hopefully this can educate a bit. And that's what advocacy is about, is about educating others. And, and, and you know, 52% of people in Canada don't even know what restorative justice is. Meanwhile, it's, it's huge that it can, it can save many lives. So that just that alone shows half of Canada is, is, is unaware of something. Well, guess what? How much of Canadians are unaware that there's very real crises that we can deal with and solve if we all work together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing I wanted to bring up with, um, and, and I know you stand 
real hard on a lot of political issues. And, you know, in today's climate, people are, are very hateful and get upset very easy about everything. And, you know, what I've really noticed with you is even when you're talking to somebody who you don't dis or, or that you do disagree with and you guys don't see eye to eye, you're super respectful and you actually talk to that person. You know, you're not spewing hate and, and having these big arguments and writing mm -hmm. people off and blasting them. You actually have a conversation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know when me and you were first getting in contact there, there was a lot of things that that I didn't agree with you on, but I respected everything that you were doing. And I, I absolutely like that the, there's still people out there that will have a conversation. You know, they, they won't put someone on blast just because they don't see things the way they do. And I think that comes with different life experiences, right? You know, like we, we've all lived different lives and been through different exactly. things and we're not going to see the world the exact same way. <laughs> yeah. Different interpretations of the world around them. You know, we exactly. all harbor unavoidable. We all have unavoidable and unique biases. You know, everyone sees the world different based on our own experiences, our own beliefs, our own value systems, you know? So, uh, for me, I always remember that we can't control that. So to sort of seek agreement from somebody is failing to recognize that that comes from a perspective of other people's belief systems, uh, which, which is totally fine and fair. Uh, no, I had my life and, and, and everyone else did. I can only speak my truth. And, and, and that's, you know, sometimes I'm not right. Sometimes I'm right. But, the, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to stand behind what I say because, you know, I've lived it. And yeah, I invite anybody to spend 20 years on the other side of the law if they want to, you know, see if it's any different for them. <laughs> I, I, would, I wouldn't recommend it. So I would, I, I would just say trust me on some things, uh, you know, that I know for a fact that the Indigenous over incarceration was happening, for example. And I was like, I, was, I remember I was in prison and I was looking, uh, this happened, this, it struck me at a very young age, honestly. The very first time I went to prison, I noticed that something was wrong. Uh, throughout the years, year, years go by, years go by, you keep going back. And it's the same thing. It's the same pattern. And I remember sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm like, you guys understand how disproportionately targeted you are? And they're all like, shut up, Ryan. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously. I was like, how many of us here? Are brown, you know what I mean? How many in every prison you went to? Blah blah blah. And they're like, fuck, shut up, you know. I, I, <laughs> but uh, but uh, the audience was very small, so I, I'm pretty much saying the same thing now. But uh, you know, it, it's it's from what I saw. It's what I lived. And the, fortunately for me, the statistics are there to back it up. So I'm able to sort of draw these connections of lived experience with statistics and and um, to be a good writer about it. You know? Yeah, and that's uh, another. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'll let you go. Um, yeah, I was I was gonna ask you, um, like, what made you give up, you know, the the gang life and and the life that you were living, and starting to take this path to where where you are now? Like, what was it that that you were just like, hey man, I can't do this anymore. I, I need to make a change. Uh, you know, uh, I won't. I, a lot of things. You know, I wish I could tell you there was like some cool, you know what I mean, life changing. Oh, my dog died, man, and you know they killed my dog, <laughs> sort of John Wick style. But you know, <laughs> you know, it, it was it was an accumulation of I've had enough, and I I I'm not I, like I 
I'm not speaking for a lot of the gang members out there, but when I was in a gang, I honestly wanted out and, and be, even being in a gang, you don't really want to join. Uh, you know, it's sort of like a byproduct of, you know, the situation you're in a lot of times. So I knew that I didn't want to be, continue to go to prison. I knew that I didn't want to continue to lose things and continual loss and live that lifestyle. You know, you, you sort of understand at a certain point it gets old, but as well, uh, yeah, so it was a, an accumulation of a lot of factors. I like to attribute my children for, uh, you know, just being born and, and being, you know, the light of my eye and, and you know, my love for them, I, I would say was huge in changing my life around. If I had to choose one thing, it would definitely be that uh, because I remember just being taken away, well, not taken away from them, but it was my fault. I remember make, I, I messed up. You know, I made mistakes and here I was looking at another long sentence and daddy's not going to be home. But this time it's it's for a long time. That is a very hard thing to live with. That's something mm -hmm. that eats at your soul every day you spend in that cell. So if that's not a motivator for anybody, man, I don't know what is. So definitely my children and uh, an accumulation of this is time, you know, it's, it's time to just get out of this cycle. Uh, I, I joined a gang when I was 13 years old. Uh, you know, I was in my 30s by the time I realized that I had wasted my life. And, and, you know, if there's anything I could say to those out there, it would be don't waste your life. Don't join a gang. Don't sell drugs. Don't go down the wrong path. You know, get your education. Stay in school. You know, find a job. You know, find, chase your passion. Do what you want to do. Don't listen to other people. You know, those aren't your friends. You know, they're you know they're not your family you know you have real family you know there's connection out there there's culture out there you know there's a beautiful life waiting for you and and for me unfortunately i wasted 20 years of my life before i realized that you know so now i'm, I'm lucky that i'm a mentor with the gang action interagency network i i work with young men and and i tell them these things on a daily and i help them to get their ids i help them to get bank accounts help them even with you know food security with uh finding a place you know it, it, it's a really good feeling to see them succeed and know that you know i changed the outcome for somebody i i i wish somebody took your time to change the outcome for me so so yeah it's all about giving back you know yeah i'm uh all about what gain does and you know i know the group of people that you work with i work closely with a few of them too and I love the support system that's put in place for, you know, the age that I went wrong was a teenager. And just like you said, you joined a gang at 13. Um, it's like you were looking for, for someone to be there and you wanted to be a part of something. And now that we, we can be a support and, and get them part of something on the right side and show yeah. them like what community is all about and, you know, how far you can get with somebody on a positive note. Um, I, I think that's something that a lot of people, especially when they're struggling to find their identity of who they are as a teenager, they, they just might've been a little lost and we're, we're in that position where we can be a positive role model now and show them a, a more positive way. Yeah. Yes. I, I think the work you, you're doing is great. Like I, I look up to, to so many different people. Um, I try and bring as many of them I can on the podcast. Like you guys are leading by example, right? Like when, when I can go, online and, and I see you, you know, you're tattied up doing these interviews and I'm like, wait a minute, like I was locked up with this guy a long time ago. Like I know what he's, <laughs> now he's like 
talking to senators. He's like, you know, doing political stuff. Like this, this is crazy, right? And uh, yeah, you guys are just, you're definitely leading by example. Um, I think action goes so much more than words and you're actually out there doing the work. Yeah, I, I, there's also a lot of men that are around me and there's a lot of men that I look up to, you know, and they make me look good, you know, because <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to have a lot of amazing people in the community that are doing amazing work and, and I help out and a lot of it is attributed to me, but trust me, there's, there's a whole army of, of men that are wanting to do better and doing better and, and really putting in the work. And, and there's also some very strong mentors and, you know, like you said, when you're younger, you want connection, you want a purpose, you want, you know, family, you want acceptance, guidance, you know, these are all things that you need uh, for, for development. Uh, if, if you don't get that, it unfortunately, it's going to be found. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's provided by negative, uh, you know, aspects such as gangs, such as, you know, camaraderie that come from drugs and dealing and, and you know, we've all, you know, I can't say we've all been there, but a lot of it has been there. And I'm, you know, I'm blessed to be able to find that in the peer and, and social group that I have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the, the gangs was, was never anything that got me. Um, you know, I never, I never wanted to be a gang member. I hung around a lot of people that were involved with them. Um, mm. I was all about making money, but obviously I was drawn to that, that bad crowd. And uh, mm. it's very easy to get sucked in when there's nobody trying to steer you in the right direction. You know, when you're, when you're just sitting there and nobody's telling you that, Hey, maybe you should be hanging out with a different group of people. Maybe you should be doing some more positive things. Like I didn't have that in one year, you know, all I saw was this, this negative life and I was drawn to it. Um, it's one of the reasons why I vowed to, to give back to that demographic of people, you know, youth, teenage youth. It's, that's, it's where I went wrong. And it's where I feel a lot of people are lost. You know, a lot of people don't, don't know where they're at. They haven't found themselves yet. They don't know where to go. And I don't know what it is, but that negativity is just easy to be drawn to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if there's any other issue that you want to, you know, talk about and bring up that we haven't. Um, I know you you always got a lot of, a lot of stats and stuff like that. So. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, statistics are cool. I I, I think that. Uh, I think I said a lot. I think one thing that I want to be the take home is, uh, is that, you know, find your passion, I guess, for those out there listening. Like if, if, if you want to speak about something, if you think something's not right in society, no one's telling you not to speak about it. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've knew, I've, I've known these are problems for a long time. There's a lot more, there's a huge plethora of other issues that I'm involved with, but I've known that there are problems for a long time, you know, just, just speaking about them nowadays it's huge I, I never thought that everybody would get behind them like they are now so i would imagine others out there that have you know very strong voices uh just like myself and 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 yourself that can take that issue that they feel strongly about and amplify it you know amongst others um, for sure 
Also, uh, I, I guess I'll say, you know, shameless plug again. I'm writing a book. Uh, it's going to be hopefully released this year. Uh, yeah, it, it'll, it'll just uh, be, a you know, a, a memoir of, of my life, of, of when I was younger and upbringing and then, you know, going to prison and sort of the 20 years of, of, of that lifestyle. It's going to focus a lot on, you know, the issues that are underlying but uh it, it's going to be a fun memoir as well where i'm able to sort of go back and, and relive these experiences uh and, and and talk about them not a lot of people talk about gangs and talk about the underbelly of crime and talk about you know never mind survive that lifestyle but also to come up with this you know unique experience and to come out and to be able to see these social problems through that lens is something that I want to leave behind as well. Uh, so hopefully with this memoir, I can touch on some very important social issues, but as well, you know, just tell a story of, of that that's very much uh, needed to be told out there. You know, a story of redemption and and and, and hope. Uh, you know, I was hopeless a lot of times. I, you know, I I, I I thought of ending it. I thought it was the end. I thought, you know, there was no life beyond the life I was living. And here I am, you know, so. I really want to leave that behind as well. Uh, I don't. I don't have a name for the book, so I won't plug that in. Uh, you know, I have an agent, and I have a lot of publishers that are interested. So it's just uh, a matter of sitting down. I'm writing it currently. Yeah. So if uh, just to you know, bring some hype about that. And, uh, that's uh, that's a book that I will plug in the future when it is released. I will cool. definitely be getting a copy of that book and reading it. Um, nice. Is there anything else you want to plug? Any social yeah, media, any agencies that you want people to know about? Uh, floor is yours. Let them know. Uh, well, you know, I, I guess uh, Healing Together is a men's group that I uh, currently uh, run. Uh, it's uh, been two years plus. It's started Thunderbird House in Winnipeg. It's basically a, a safe space for men to come together and to talk about anything. Uh, what you have there is men who talk about uh, their issues that they're dealing with. Uh, we talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about uh, just, you know, relationship problems, whatever. Uh, lot, so many men out there, man, like, to be honest, we're not, we don't talk about feelings and we sort of have this very toxic culture and which contributed a lot of times to me being incarcerated to a lot of violence was not being able to deal with my feelings, not being able to deal with my emotions or my thought my thoughts and uh you know people tell us to do better instead of prison but how do you do that so for me uh starting a men's group was was great because i was able to have that collective experience not only do i sit there and i i help to facilitate uh the the, the group but i get to listen to so many other stories and so many other stories of hope and stories so many other stories of, of change and there's a lot of men there now that are sort of senior you know, that have been there for a long time and have really uh, you know, processed a lot. And then there's a lot of men that come and they're new and, and they get to, you know, listen. And, and then eventually they start to speak and together we, uh, we, we, we process problems and we, we give each other supports. And so if anybody wants to come there, it's, uh, you could get a hold of us on Facebook. It's healing together. Basically, I don't know. There's probably some other Facebooks out there with that, but you'll find us. It's based out of Winnipeg. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. And, and I want to thank, uh, you know, everyone, of course, listen to Tyler's Reputation Rehab. 
uh, whenever it's on, you know, share, like this uh, podcast. I'm going to share it everywhere. Man, you know, thank you so much, Tyler, for having me on here. Uh, thanks to all the other voices that were on before me, the ones that are after me. Uh, you know, thanks to all the listeners for, you know, listening to my rambling. You know, whether, you know, I, I, I'm long-winded sometimes, so hopefully this podcast can be aired. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me in this wonderful conversation, Tyler. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I think people are going to hear a different perspective that they might not have heard before. And, you know, maybe they can start looking into some of those issues and jumping on board to help, you know, being a part of solving some of it and, and healing. So, yeah, thank you so much. I know your time is valuable. I know you have a lot of writing that you're constantly doing. So for you to take an hour out of your time to come on here and do this, um, uh, I'm very grateful for it. And uh, I'm grateful for you holding that men's group. Um, getting involved in that has has definitely been a healing process in my life. And I uh, continue to keep coming to that and healing a bit more. So thank you yeah, so man, much for coming on. Awesome. I'll see you Sunday. And thank you all for listening.